0: Sir, sir. Man, I got man. I got swag. I'll be in a blue shirt chasing a bag.
1: Long ball from the back that could have been, could have been that's another trophy, man. Welcome in. This is the third formal episode of Chelsea Mic'ed Up, the only officially club-sanctioned Chelsea FC podcast in the world. I am your host, an emotional swinging pendulum. Of Chelsea support, Mike Ryan Ruiz, and with me is my trusty co-host Chris Whittingham, who is falsely painted sometimes as a neutral observer. And I don't know week, how, why you're saying falsely. <laughs> this is this week's going to be really tricky for our <laughs> dynamic, Chris. Why? I
2: don't understand. I I, I think I'm just going to bring what I normally bring to the podcast: some knowledge about the Premier League, some knowledge about both clubs that are playing on Saturday at 12:30 Eastern. I'm proud of
1: you. You're basically Kirk Herbstreet on college game day, <laughs> yes. refusing to make a pick at the end of this podcast. You don't make a pick. Even so though when I'm I, not calling the game. When I when I pick Chelsea to win 7-0, you just <laughs> keep your mouth shut.
2: I'll nod knowingly, and I'll maybe tell you my thoughts off air.
1: We have a lot of things to get into because this is one of my favorite fixtures in the Premier League. When these two get together, they always have very memorable matchups. Even when uh, one of the matches don't go Chelsea's way, there's always interesting talking points from when these two get together. Also, a matchup, I think, of the two most successful English soccer clubs from the 20-teens. So, I would like to just sort of informally say that this one's to crown the 20 teen champion. So, this one game? This one match. Because it's the last one. This is the last match before 2020 rolls around. We go into a roaring 20s decade. This last match will decide who the best team of the 20-teens is.
2: I like it because it didn't dawn on me until you pitched me that you thought that these were the two best teams and... There really is no argument when you look through trophies, when you look through relevance, when you look through big matches played as well. I mean, you mentioned sort of the way that the game transcends. I think a lot of English rivalry is about locality. It's about history down the years but in recent times like you think about the the major Premier League rivalries it's Man City and Liverpool which you know Man United and Liverpool or Man United and Man City are theoretically their big rivals Chelsea are meant to be rivals with all the clubs in London obviously Arsenal and Tottenham are you know they, they, they maintain that history but it's usually about proximity it's usually about cities going against each other there isn't really any of that background it's just these two teams have been so good the matches have been so good that it is sort of the
1: defining rivalry of this decade I think they have found themselves chasing each other for titles in pretty decent Premier League uh, chases. And this year, we enter it with a surprising look at the table with Chelsea sitting atop Manchester City on the table. Chelsea sitting at third, Manchester City one just one point behind in fourth, but not something that many experts had here in mid to late November.
2: Right, and when you include Leicester in that group as well as teams above Man City after the November international break... I can't imagine, once you saw this fixture, all right, Man City are going to need to win it, a home match against Chelsea, in order to continue to fight with Liverpool, but now they're in a fight just to sort of maintain their position as a top two club in the Premier League, and is that being challenged by Leicester and Chelsea, and Man City have to reassert, if, if they're going to be a title contender, they have to reassert themselves as winning seven, eight, nine in a row, and it would have to start with this match, but Chelsea now offer a different proposition than they did a year ago when they beat them at the bridge and then obviously lost 6-0 to them at the Etihad, but it's an entirely different Chelsea team, and I'll be curious to see how Man City, because you know that Chelsea are going to have their chances on the counter-attack, you know that Chelsea are going to
1: be able to get at City at times. We're going to do a deep dive on the history of this fairly recent rivalry between these two clubs that chase excellence, but this is a marquee match. If you're in the United States, this is the marquee NBC weekend fixture Saturday 12:30 p.m eastern time Christian Pulisic has brought on a lot of casual observers to this match and if you're listening to this podcast you're about that Chelsea life that or Mark Stein retweeted this on your timeline and you're <laughs> wondering what the hell it's all about but you're going to want to watch this match with a lot of people because this is one of the great Premier League fixtures of the season and if you want to do that with other like-minded Chelsea fans make sure to head over to the fist stand app and look up The nearest supporters club. It is a great thing being a Chelsea fan. The camaraderie is there. So many great places across the country. I've benefited from this app and taking in great games while I've traveled with other amazing Chelsea fans. So I implore you to do the same. Make sure to check that out on the Fist Sand app and get all your post-game coverage on the Fist Sand app. Because this is going to be a game you're going to want to see some reaction to. There was some soccer over the last week. It just wasn't Chelsea soccer, but that doesn't mean that Chelsea fans weren't watching with a keen eye Chris, tell me what happened during the international break with some of Chelsea's main players. Now, the unfortunate bit is that Christian Pulisic couldn't play during this
2: international break with the U.S. You would have thought five goals in the Premier League. He's finally hit form with Chelsea. You want to see him take some of that to the U.S., but he, was, uh, he picked up that hip injury in the game against Crystal Palace, and so uh, he could not make the trip over to the United States. They did beat Canada. They did beat Cuba in CONCACAF Nations League, so they are going through to the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. We'll see uh, what his role will be in that tournament. But England is the big story, and all of the young Chelsea players that are coming through this year that fans are so excited about, Mount, Abraham, Tamori, play, and in two of their cases, score their first international goal. So Tammy Abraham comes off the bench against... Montenegro they beat them 7-0 and Tammy got the seventh his first goal for England that was on the night that they were celebrating England's 1000th game so it's celebrating history and a new era simultaneously for them which is really cool Mason Mount then in the away game to Kosovo a 4-0 victory Mount scores in second half stoppage time his first international goal and uh, you had Fakao Tamora who came off the bench in that game away to Kosovo uh, to replace Trent Alexander-Arnold and get his first England cap. So a lot of firsts, and I think this is going to start to be a regular trend. You wonder when Reese James eventually works his way into the full national team who's playing with the under-21s during this international break. And it's kind of incredible right now to see that these guys are not only being validated with first-team minutes and goals and plaudits for the full Chelsea side, but for the English national side so quickly.
1: And it's great to see Tammy Abraham keeping his goal-scoring form, not missing a beat during the international break. Here's Tammy Abraham talking about that first goal with the national team. I'm just thinking this guy better pass me the ball. (laughs) And a first international goal for Tammy Abraham. Half time, the manager spoke to me, said, "Um, stay ready, stay warm. Um, That you'll get your opportunity. Um, I remember I was just on the bench. I was just bobbling. You know, I just wanted to come on and hopefully score. And... um, Yeah, there was no bad feeling. That sound comes courtesy of the FA. So hopefully, Tammy Abraham can keep this red hot form going as we enter a huge match with Manchester City. Coming up next, we're going to bring on Mark Stein. Now, Mark Stein, if you're a Chelsea fan that also knows the NBA, you know all about Mark Stein. He is often breaking news in this league. He's nowhere near as cool as Josh Hart or Larry Nance Jr., who keep the blue flag flying high. (laughs) He is a diehard Manchester City fan, and we're going to have a little back and forth and talk about the great rivalry that has spawned between these two clubs recently. Over the last 15 years or so, I would love to have a Manchester City representative on this podcast because that is a team that I certainly respect, and I get up for these fixtures, so. Coming up next, Mark Stein from the New York Times joins Chelsea Mike up This is Chelsea Mike up We're bringing in a name that's familiar to the American sports fan, a name that's synonymous with basketball coverage, Mark Stein from the New York Times. If you follow him and you have him set to mobile alerts because he's breaking stories out here in these streets too, you know that he is also a Manchester City fan, unfortunately for us, but he is uh, a huge supporter of the game here in the United States, and uh Really helps the growth of it. Anytime someone from a more mainstream sport gives this uh, beautiful game attention, we're big fans. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on Chelsea Miked Up.
0: You just explain why nobody keeps me on notifications anymore because. We didn't follow you for soccer tweets, Stein. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you get that plenty. So how do you, uh, do you have a a burner account? Not unlike uh, Kevin Durant in which you're just an egg account out there somewhere that is just Man City Takes. How do you, where do you find your outlet? Who do you talk to?
0: No, what I do actually is I really don't tweet about them as much as I'd like because I'm not tech savvy enough to operate multiple Twitter accounts <laughs> and I try not to annoy the basketball audience too much with my city slash Premier League slash U.S. men's national team musings. So I've actually I think maybe people would disagree. I think I've actually toned it down quite a bit. But sometimes the occasion is so big that I can't resist and I have to say something.
1: Well, Saturday is, I think, one of these occasions where we might be seeing you tweet and weigh in on the match coming up because Chelsea take on Manchester City, I'd like to position this as a match for the decade. I think the stats bear out that these are the two best English clubs from the teens. And anytime that they seem to match up, it's always memorable. Even when it's a very one-sided affair, these games tend to stick with you. Your favorite moment from this, I guess you can call it a rivalry because... Manchester City is in the fiercest rivalry in the Premier League and it's built over the course of two years with Liverpool. So your favorite moment from these two facing off?
0: Well, the first thing I got to say is to make myself even more annoying. I'll actually be there. I'm actually going to be at the match, which is unexpected. But basically what I do is the last thing I do before every NBA season is I go to England for about a week to 10 days and pretend that I'm Mancunian. And I always do that kind of mid-September-ish, but this year it was the craziest off-season in NBA history, and then it was a U.S. national team summer, so I wasn't able to go in September like normal, so I've pushed that trip back to kind of coincide with Thanksgiving, and give myself a little mini slew of games here that actually starts with Saturday, so I will be in the crowd, and, you know, look, for me, it's always the games that you got to see with your own eyes that stick out. And the one that sticks out for me is actually a loss because in 2008, I happened to be in Manchester just when City, they didn't have the, the crazy money that we have now, but in 2008, they just signed Robinho, And that was a big, big signing for City to kind of announce themselves as a major player in the transfer market. And his first game was against Chelsea City ended up losing. Chelsea was the class of the league in those days and ultimately played City off the park. But uh, Rubinho scored on a free kick on his debut and the crowd was, that was a moment I'll never forget. And then last February, not a league game, but I kind of have a a deal at home that if if City make the League Cup final, because that's right after All-Star and the trade deadline in the NBA, that's the one final I can go to. Everything else that matters is in May. And I'm obviously not going to be missing the NBA playoffs, but I, I always go to the League Cup final when City get that far and City-Chelsea last year. So I got to enjoy victory at
1: Wembley in that one. Yeah, and quite the dramatic affair that one was <laughs> with something that we uh, we often don't see. Not quite P.J. Carlissimo, Latrell Sprewell levels, but the sorry uh, Keppa interaction was something that we were certainly talking about uh, and still are, how did you become a Manchester City supporter? Because you're saying you were out there in 2008, so you're not, I, even though you probably get accused of this all the time, you're not some glory hunter.
0: I do. I, that's another thing I do get a lot on Twitter. If you really want to punish Chelsea fans with hearing this sad tale, it actually goes all the way back to 1980. My whole family is Romanian by origin and then moved to Israel. And so my brother and I, were the, we were the first two American born. And as kids, a lot, we would, we would go to Israel to to basically spend the summer with our extended family. And in those days, it's, you know, 1980, there's no, there's obviously no internet, but there's not Israel in the summertime. There's not even cable. There's almost nothing in English about sports at all. The only thing I could find in English was it was an English soccer magazine called Shoot. And it was a kid's soccer magazine and it was huge in the seventies, the eighties, but I, I really had no concept of geography, of any history. I didn't know anything, really. This is how I learned English soccer out of this magazine. And I basically picked City because on the back cover of the first issue, they featured a, a former city player named Tommy Caton, and City's colors were the same as my little fifth grade team in California, and basically that's how a City fan was born.
1: It's a kit colors off uh, often <laughs> in the states. It's uh, the, it the, or, always, it the always, origin
2: stories can always come from the most random things, right? It just it's kit colors, it's back of a magazine. That's sort of the beauty of Premier League
1: American support is nine that? times out of ten, it, it usually just comes down to either FIFA or the uniforms. I like how it looked.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, having a good origin story makes. Like I'll give you an example. Mark Followell, the Mavs, the Mavs play-by-play guy, is a huge Arsenal fan. Why are you an Arsenal fan, Mark? Because the San Antonio Spurs are the Mavs' biggest rivals. Spurs are Arsenal's biggest rival. That's how he became a Spurs fan. I'm like, that's love- incredible. <laughs> that's good.
1: Uh, what do you make of Manchester City this season? I-, I ventured last week to say that it kind of feels like this might be the beginning of the end for this core unit. You can start seeing some of the wear on some of these players, and you're going to have to replenish this squad a little bit. I think this season's probably not gone the way that uh, that you've imagined. That, uh, that loss at Norwich, in particular, really sticks out. What do you make of the team so far, and is there any way to get back into a true title fight with Liverpool?
0: I mean, look, the way Liverpool's playing, it's hard to see how they open the door. I mean, nine points is not irretrievable, so I don't want to say it's impossible, but, I mean, this Liverpool team just seems impervious i mean they just they even when they look like losing they find a way to turn it around so i don't know how you make up a nine point gap against these guys but i'm also not sitting here at home throwing things about it and and i think that does make me a rarity and i you know now that i'm about to go to manchester and reconnect with all my friends there i'm sure they're going to be a lot more tense than i am i guess when you're living it every day but city's won the last two league titles i mean Am I gonna be mad if they can't win three in a row? I mean, that's ridiculous. The Champions League will tell the story if City can can finally win the Champions League. That obviously puts a completely different complexion on the season. Yeah, but you're exactly right. I mean, from a City fan's perspective, everyone wants you know. You go to Anfield, you're gonna you're gonna get housed. Sometimes they're that good. You can't lose at home to Norwich. That's unacceptable. And that's if City can't claw this deficit back. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be that result that stings far more than losing away to Liverpool.
2: And Mark, I think some of those losses can be blamed, at least in part, on this defense. A lot of talk about no Vincent Company replacement. Of course, the Americ laporte injury plays a huge role in how City season has gone so far. Do you think this central defensive and overall defensive problem will continue to be an issue?
0: Yeah, and I think people would expect, because of City's money, that they will go out and make at least one move in January. I mean, we can debate how much of an impact an in-season signing is really going to have. You've seen even with the new defenders that, that City brought in this season, Pep's been really slow to bring them into the team. But that's the thing. The back four has just been so unsettled. I mean, in the Liverpool game, I mean, their, their defenders just look so good both directions. I mean, they were great going forward. The passing for the second goal for Alexander-Arnold to be able to play a ball with his left foot the way he did, completely switch the field. I mean, for, for a guy playing on the right. 16, 17 teams in the Premier League wish their playmakers could play passes like that. So I think that's another reason why I've quieted, quieted down on Twitter. You know, City have spent so much money and generally have such a deep team, close to two world-class players at every position. Nobody really wants to hear a City fan whining about injuries or unsettled teams or lack of depth because for the last five years, they've maybe had the deepest squad in the world.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chelsea and Manchester City always seem to uh, be linked in in that um, over, I guess, the last 20 years, they are the two clubs that spend the most money, to a degree, turned around their fortunes, um, their historical fortunes. But now Chelsea find themselves in what uh, many from the outside would have called a, a rebuild because the transfer band forced their hands. You see this now young core already paying dividends, already third in the table, when many anticipated some of these younger players might struggle to come online a little bit. Do you kind of see Chelsea as the team that once Liverpool this run ends and it's I know they're still in the in the middle of it, but do you fear Chelsea is positioned here for another decade run?
0: I never thought they were going away. I never I mean, you know, I- People want to say it's a two-team league. I always kind of looked at that as a temporary condition. I mean, Chelsea's just too big a club with too much money and ambition to to stay quiet for long. And I've been really curious to kind of follow Lampard and see how he does as a manager. Because obviously, sensational player. Not just because he had a late cameo with City, too. It's interesting, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, who I covered for a long time in Dallas. His wife has twin brothers who both played professionally in England for a long time. And one of them, Marcus Olsen, actually played for Lampard at Derby. And he raved about him as a manager. And so I was, I've been really interested to see how Lampard would do making the jump. Because obviously, as a club legend, there's huge pressure on him to deliver. And I think he's, he's holding up pretty well under that scrutiny and under that expectation. So, you know, and it's funny, you mentioned Larry Nance and, and, and Josh Hart, who I do joust with those guys when I see them, especially Nance. They are indeed proud, proud Chelsea fans, so I was never hoodwinked into thinking that Chelsea was going away in any way, shape, or form.
2: Now, one of the unique things about this Premier League season is that even if you yourself are a Man City supporter or you're another American fan of Man United or Spurs whoever, because your first team is probably the U.S. men's national team and your second team is your Premier League club, I think a lot of... Premier League fans have been put in the position now of having to root for Chelsea or at the very least Pulisic to play well for Chelsea because of him being with this club now. So from your perspective, you're obviously big into the U.S. men's national team as well beyond your fandom of Manchester City. How have you found his performances for Chelsea and how important is it to have a player of his quality playing for a club as big as Chelsea?
0: Yeah, there's no question that if you're an American, I think at some level you're rooting for Pulisic no matter what shirt he's wearing because. For years, for five, six years, I did a weekly soccer radio show, and I had to give that up in 2017. So I don't follow it as closely as I used to. But really, that show that I used to do with Steve Davis and Tyler Kern, and they they carry it on in Dallas on on 103.3 FM in Dallas weekly, the national team was always the major emphasis for our show. And obviously, Pulisic is flying the flag right now. And it, it actually makes me sad because we used to have you used to be able to count on 9, 10 Americans a year in the Premier League, and it's just no longer the case. I mean, it's it's Pulisic, it's Yedlin, and, and right now that's basically all it is. So there are a lot of eyes on him and hoping he does not keep banging in the goals this weekend because obviously he's been hot lately. But given his rough start and what a lightning rod he seems to be to see him settle in now and, what is it, five goals in the last three games, I mean, it's nice to – see an American thrive at that level, because again, as someone who's followed English football now for almost 40 years, it saddens me to see how few Americans are in that league right now. And I know Germany's the hot new league and Americans have done well in Germany, but let's face it in the States, the Premier League is the one that fans pay attention to the most. And I think in general, we would all like to see a lot closer to 10 Americans than two.
1: Now, in the past, Clint Dempsey's had very successful seasons at Fulham, a legendary player for that club. Brian McBride also had plenty of success in England, and American keepers uh, probably the uh, shining example of U.S. soccer playing in the Premier League. But now Christian Pulisic is performing well. He's performing for a glamour club, and he is scoring goals. And to me, that sort of feels like the great last step in helping soccer really grow in this country. I guess in this lengthy preamble, what I'm trying to get to is how jealous are you that Chelsea have Christian Pulisic? And don't you wish you had one too?
0: Um, I'm not, I can't say I'm jealous. I mean, obviously it would be great to have him at city to enjoy that. But when it comes to the U S national team, I just want to see, I want to see the success and I just want to see, more of it and look Pulisic went abroad at a very young age and that's really what put him in position to do what he's doing and I I think it just kind of shows that that is the path that increases the chances of success and makes it most likely to have the kind of impact that he's having now so I just hope that more young American players get the chance that he got to go abroad when they're 15 and 16 and get into a big club and work their way up because, you know, no, no knock on MLS, but I just think it's a lot tougher to go that route and do it that way. So you mentioned goalkeepers. We, the United States has always had great goalkeepers and it just so happens that my youngest, my 13 year old, he is a goalkeeper. So I've really taken a strong interest in that position in my dad years. And where are they? Where did they go? Where are the American keepers? I mean, it was years and years and years that there were always Five to seven American keepers in England, and you don't see that now. So I i, I hope that bounces back as well.
1: Manchester City actually they own the rights to Zach Steffen, the present starter for the U.S. Men's National Team. I know he's on loan abroad, but maybe one day you'll get Zach Steffen back there in these big matchups, and you won't have to be so jealous. It would be pretty wild to see Christian Pulisic pass one past Zach Steffen in this fixture Uh, a little bit of rapid fire with you when it comes to these two teams your reaction when Frank Lampard scores a late equalizer against Chelsea for Manchester City was what
0: um that's always a tough situation for the players so I I get it I get when guys in general don't want to go nuts because I mean he was great for City I mean he was a very good player for us but obviously he's you know he's Chelsea to the death, so I'm sure that was a weird one for him.
1: The central Chelsea figure that I had the most the most disdain towards Terry Mourinho doesn't crack. I, I there. thought for sure he was going no, Jose you know Mourinho. Why?
0: It doesn't because wherever Jose goes, I find his interviews like drop everything. And even when he was at United, if he was doing a press conference for me, that is a stop everything and listen. I love him on TV. I, I can't wait till he comes back. I That's where the journalist in me kicks in. And I just, I, he belongs in the NBA to me. The way, <laughs> the drama queen that he is, he belongs in the NBA.
1: The Chelsea player I feared most in this matchup was blank.
0: I would say Drogba.
1: I have a really healthy fear and respect for Sergio Agu- Aguero, who's been absolutely unbelievable in this series and when you actually look at the goals head-to-head Aguero dwarfs what Drogba did and I thought for sure Drogba would be the the comp there is really no comp for this so if you could put you could surmise Sergio Aguero's impact for Manchester City many might believe him when it's all said and done to be the greatest striker in Premier League history
0: I've always thought that that you know look Messi and Ronaldo are they're like from a different planet. The game that they play, you know, they're not really out and out strikers. They're not just—you wouldn't say Ronaldo's just a winger. You wouldn't say Messi's just a play. I mean, they're, they're like you got to put the two of them to the side because there isn't even a word to describe them. But I always thought, as a pure striker, I think Aguero has been the best in the world for a decade. You know, he's so small, but you know, he's—he's he's good in the air for his size. So strong. I mean, he can, as a striker, he can do it all. And City have had a zillion great players over the last decade. I think Aguero will will go down as as the best player in club history.
1: All right. Your prediction headed into this fixture on Saturday.
0: Uh, I'm going to be there, so I'm obviously predicting a victory. I, uh, City wouldn't dare make me fly 5,000 miles and lose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How does this season end for Manchester City? I, I guess you got to go for broken, and, and it has to be a Champions League trophy. Otherwise... I don't know how many chances this core is going to get at this. This might be the last, the way, similar to what Chelsea was in 2012. We had Ashley Cole in the first episode and he was like the weight of, the, of that moment, knowing that it was that core's last opportunity at a Champions League trophy. He felt in many respects helped push them to claim that ultimate prize. Is that what's in the cards for Manchester City?
0: I do not see this as any kind of last chance thing. I, I think there's still plenty of Quality in the team to keep going. I mean, yes, they're they're going to have to make some changes in the back. I don't think there's any question about that. And you know, Vincent Company was an all-time captain. You don't just replace that quickly and easily. But I still see this as a minimum tr- two trophy season. You know, with Foden coming through, De Bruyne is going nowhere. I still, frankly, think Sergio has plenty left in the tank. As greedy as this sounds, I, I expect two trophies a season. I do.
1: He's Mark Stein from the New York Times. An automatic follow on Twitter if you care about basketball and soccer now, too. And we hope to see a little increase on the soccer tweets. It's all right, Mark. We appreciate you joining us here on Chelsea Mike Up.
0: Congrats on this podcast, boys. You guys are repping the American flag in the Premier League. Well done. Chelsea,
1: Chelsea, 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 Chelsea. All right, Chris, that was a slightly cordial affair with Mark Stein. I once was bitter enemies on Twitter with Mark Stein, and I blocked him because I'm a Miami Heat fan, and he once put the Memphis Grizzlies ahead of the Miami Heat in his early season power rankings, and it took me a few years to forgive him. Now, he seems to be a stand-up <laughs> guy outside of his crap taste in soccer, <laughs> but I'm happy that he took the time out to join uh, us here. That's, I feel
2: like, the kind of emotional fandom we need to tap into with you here in this podcast. I want you blocking people who say bad things about Chelsea. We can't really start cursing on this podcast, but like... Really
1: ripping into someone who's had a go with Chelsea. Well, it's just everything's on brand, including the cowardice to speak about Mark Stein after he's left the pod (laughs) and been so gracious with his time. But really, we need to smash his head in. But let's talk about this Man City-Chelsea rivalry, Chris, because it is a sneaky good one. Yeah. It is two clubs that have been excellent in the new century, and uh, they have... A mess, certainly the most hardware combined from two teams mm-hmm. in the Premier League so why don't you give me and the listening audience a bit of a history lesson here when it comes to a recent rivalry yeah and it's incredible how much
2: these games have taken on and added sense of importance obviously Chelsea were taken over by Roman Abramovich in the early 2000s and it got like a six or seven year head start on City's massive spending but you look at this decade Obviously, where Chelsea have the greatest advantage, and, and Chelsea fans obviously tout it all the time, is in Europe, right? Winning the Champions League in 2012. Now, Liverpool just recently won, but until then, they were the only team this decade that had won a European trophy. And then you had the two Europa Leagues as well. Only Manchester United is the only Euro, uh, the only English club that won the Certainly Europa League.
1: Certainly no other teams in London with a European Cup. There's it- a little ditty uh i've heard i think i've heard that song before yeah so yes chelsea uh, really have the advantage in this head-to-head matchup when it mm -hmm. comes to the european trophies that they can hang their head on and of course everyone knows Mm -hmm. what happened in 2012 when they got the top prize the trophy that seems to be escaping pep guardiola and this manchester city core uh, for the last few years yeah
2: i mean pep hasn't won it since he was at barcelona obviously had to go go at it with bayern munich and then it's been a real struggle losing to spurs in the quarterfinals in the most recent edition and I feel like that's his end goal. Obviously, they're winning the Premier League and, and they you know, won 100 points and then they won 98 and they won two trophies, but it really is that European Cup that eludes them. And I mean, it sort of depends on how you weight the value of these trophies. So you just sort of run through them. Chelsea's won three European trophies, the 2012 Champions League, 2013 Europa League, and 2019 Europa League. They've won the Premier League twice in this decade where you compare it to Man City. You've won it four times, including the last two. In domestic cups, uh, Chelsea won the FA Cup twice, one League Cup. That is the trophy that City has have racked up in this decade they have won four league cups compared to two fa cups yeah there seems
1: to be some stat padding when it comes to the old Carabao <laughs> cup here which is we mentioned in episode zero chris there will be no knocking of the Carabao cup fixtures we're big fans right and if you're you, even though chelsea went out it, it, it was you know arguably their biggest loss of the season it, i'm still trying to shake it yeah but i do want this carabao cup trophy back at Stamford bridge and manchester city we went to the etihad last year they're very proud of of this Carabao trophy with a very large banner right that was the first thing we noticed right is
2: they won the double and it's a similarly sized facade on their stadium Premier League Carabao Cup and I'm like the first thing that I said was wow
1: I'm surprised they have a sign that big for the Carabao Cup (laughs) equal footing with the Premier League Although, I mean, last year's Carabao Cup final between these two clubs was as dramatic of yeah. a soccer match outside of maybe the one that ended up deciding the title in at the Etihad between Liverpool and Manchester City. It was as dramatic a news-making a match as we had seen in all of soccer with what happened with Kepa refusing mm-hmm. to come out of the match and sorry and all the histrionics. And then from the outset, Jorginho... Could have been sent <laughs> off in, instead sent- of five seconds. Yeah, Could have been sent off slash sent message that Chelsea <laughs> was not going to be pushed around. You say he could have been sent off. Yeah. I said, I mean, I said if Jorginho
2: any. really took on the spirit of Chelsea. Yeah, in, absolutely. In that moment. It's when he became a true blue.
1: Really? It's, it's at the center of the turnaround for <laughs> Jorginho in the eyes of many who is now irreplaceable. Well, and, and if you remember going into that
2: game, it was a month after the six nil at the Etihad the ah, month before.
1: that Six then I'm not sure that ever happened.
2: Well, it was off a poor performance against Man City. The last time the two teams played, as and, hard
1: fought of a six nil de- uh, <laughs> defeat you'll ever see. In fact, if we were just paying attention to the first fifteen minutes of that match, I really felt like Chelsea was giving it to them. Right. It, it was <laughs> funny
2: up until the first goal. Chelsea
1: well on top. Yeah, well they, on they top. killed it for the first
2: few minutes of that game. But uh, going into that game, City was sort of expected to do if not the same thing than something similar. And it was I think it was nil nil after after ninety minutes and nil nil after one hundred and twenty minutes. But you know what's funny is that I own an Apple Watch. It's the only time my Apple Watch told me your heartbeat is too fast, considering you're not doing any physical activity right
1: now. I'm so happy I was, to I report like, to the audience that the hosts of Chelsea mic'd up. Do indeed get up for the yeah, Carabao yeah. Cup fixture. Right,
2: it's the only time that's ever happened. Not any Premier League. Cha- no, it was the Carabao Cup final. I'm sitting in my apartment, nervous. Like I, I, I couldn't sit still. My watch was concerned for my health. That's how good that final
1: was. I was watching it uh, with the Atlanta Blues actually at their watering hole, and uh, my wife was actually watching that match with me and it was dramatic and it was great and and the the Capasari thing happened and I was just sort of like inconsolable for a little bit right and Cynthia's like my wife's what's the matter with you And I'm like I really wanted that and also part of this is shock that I could get this emotional (laughs) and devastated (laughs) over a Carabao Cup final amen but it's it's a trophy it's It's a a trophy and I think what was really at play there Chris is it was Manchester City I wanted to beat Manchester City in a final so bad because I think if you ask Manchester City, I know now they got their thing going on with Liverpool, and that's probably the fiercest rivalry right now in the Premier League. But over the last 20 years... I think each of these clubs views each other as a measuring stick, but uh, some amazing players have played in these fixtures between these two clubs. And I thought it'd be fun if you and I try to put out like the perfect all time starting 11. Yeah. Well, it can't be all time starting 11, the, the 2010 starting yeah. 11, the 20 teen, the, the, the 20 starting 11 between Chelsea and Manchester city. Let's see how Chelsea stacks up here because I like my chances of getting most of the spots on this roster. Goalkeeper, we have Thibaut Courtois, Peter Cech, Kepa, Joe Hart and Ederson. Now Ederson's been a really good player here recently, but I think this one is one of the easier. Yeah, uh, it's Petterček. One of the uh, really it's not because Keppa is also a manager. Sometimes <laughs> <laughs> he offers so much. He's a versatile
2: player. <laughs> yeah, way more. Well, I guess Ederson is a deep-lying midfielder too, so, <laughs> yeah. so he's got that positional versatility. So
1: we're going to both agree that Petterček is indeed the uh, all-time twenty-teens yeah. goalkeeper between these two clubs.
2: And part of my consideration when I was looking at this before the podcast was there has to be a certain amount of longevity in the in the rivalry, yes. which is why, like, when we get to Didier Drogba, you'd think, right, he only started one game for Chelsea in this decade, because uh, that was around the time that he was wrapping up although his tenure.
1: Came, although came on as a sub and had a pretty great moment mm-hmm. uh, in his second go-round with yeah. Chelsea, Let's go to right back now. Mm-hmm. Kyle Walker, Cesar Espelicueta, Paolo Zabaleta, and Branislav Ivanovic are our options from yeah. uh, the the rosters we poured over. And I'm going Chelsea here again with Ivanovic.
2: I agree. I agree because I kind of want to save Espelicueta for left back. Yeah, uh, because, <laughs> like, that's because, what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of laying it down because left back is among the more dire <laughs> positions in this rivalry. And I feel like now... I love Pablo Zabaleta as a player, like just sort of what he represents going forward and at the beginning of the decade. But I I think Ivanovic is a better player and deserves to be there as starting right back.
1: Center back, I think uh, this is Manchester City's first appearance in Mm -hmm. this starting eleven. Vincent Kompany, I think, absolutely deserves to be there. Nailed on, has to be in there. And right alongside John Terry. I agree. Uh, The the other options would be Gary Cahill. Cahill's been good. He's played in a lot of these games, too. Gary Cahill's actually a pretty... uh, Mm, that's actually a lot tougher than I I anticipated. Especially when
2: you consider that Terry last appeared in a game in this rivalry in
1: 2015. And Cahill also has the most legendary own goal in the history of this rivalry as well. Honorable mention... A couple years ago, Chelsea and Manchester City had a really classic fixture in which uh, KDB, that was a game that uh, I think the crossbar is still rattling uh, from I thought David Luiz was spectacular in that game. I remember that game, yeah. It came at a time where a lot of people were sort of uh, not very sure of his defensive prowess and his ability to stop this a high powered Manchester City. So I'd like to single that out. I think we As, watched that game together and we were
2: ironically calling him defensive stalwart at the yeah. beginning of the game and by the end we meant it seriously because yeah. he had been
1: a defensive stalwart. Yeah, one of the great <laughs> uh, one of the great out of nowhere performances. Yeah. David Luiz doing it on the defensive end. but you'll still go for company and Terry I'm I'm still going with company and Terry there left back I think you and I have the same (laughs) idea (laughs) Uh, we maybe uh, maybe it was a slight on Aspie at right back but here we go left back Aspie Licueta is the left back
2: yeah Ashley Cole would be the other consideration obviously we are uh, you know we're sympathetic friend of the pod Ashley Cole but he hadn't played since 2013 that was uh, again around the time that uh, he was you know earning a a move to Roma before he moved to LA Galaxy so for me I would go for Aspie Licueta there the the only challenge the only Man City choice is Alexander Kolorov. Left-back has always been a position of weakness. They tried to solve a Benjamin Mendy, but he's been hurt for two years. And then Marcus Alonso has played, yeah. has played in a lot of these games, but I'd rather have Espinicueta on that position.
1: Yeah, Ch- Chelsea, I think, uh, probably have the top three left-backs in this uh, Agreed. matchup. Yeah, so now we go to central midfielder, and this is where Manchester City uh, poses the strongest threat, I right. think, in terms so of... So I went for a
2: four three three shape just because it's the most common shape, and it sort of, I think, made the most sense it's because there's not really, like, number 10 figures, so... You know, you have really good wingers, and then a lot of sentiment midfielders
1: you can throw in there. This is a- among the the harder Man. group of players that you have to get down to three. I have to. I'm also going off of the performances that they've had against each other here too. So, here's what I'll say: KDB has been fantastic. But I'm going to go with Yaya Torre Mm -hmm. over him in just this all decade uh, starting 11. So I'm going Yaya Torre, Frank Lampard, who, like KDB, has played for both clubs. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go with David Silva as mm. my third central midfielder, and I apologize to N'Golo Kante. You're my favorite blue on the squad right now, who's not American. I think we can all understand why. Uh, <laughs> but N'Golo Kante... Uh, is is, is a that a longevity sub. thing? He's Yeah, it's a it's a longevity thing. He's the yeah. first sub off the bench, and it's a longevity thing, too, for David Silva, yeah. quite honestly. He's been
2: there the whole decade. It's incredible. Now, to me, I tried to balance like, longevity... Plus, who would I want to pick in my team? I put Conte in there uh, and and I left Lampard out, which I feel bad about. But I mean, Lampard's decade was more the decade before. Yeah. And so for me, I had Conte, Yaya, and David Silva as as my midfield three. Yaya Toure, by the way, is underrated because it ended so poorly. I mean, peak Yaya Toure was... Yaya yeah, yeah,
1: Toure, in my mind, was... You could have made a really strong case for him being the third best player in the world yeah. as Ronaldo and Messi were doing their thing. We go to the, uh, mm-hmm. the wingers, and this mm-hmm. one's fairly easy. Eden Hazard is one of our wingers. Mm-hmm. I think that goes without saying. And then the second spot is up for debate, but... On... So here are the
2: choices. You have Willian, you have Pedro... Uh, you have Juan Mata, you have Raheem Sterling, uh, and Kevin De Bruyne has played as a winger, which is what I cheated and did. I put Kevin De Bruyne as the winger on the opposite side of Azhard. So that's how I went. Uh, you can feel free to to dissent uh, with that opinion.
1: This one's tough. I'm torn, honestly. Uh, I think Mata, Sterling, and William are all right there with each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go with William. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with Willian over uh, KDB. I'm not going to cheat there. And Sterling has been brilliant for Manchester City. Uh, although in this rivalry, he hasn't really had the, the, the moments. The signature moments, yeah. The, the signature moments. So I'm going to go with Willian because I'm a crazy Chelsea homer. <laughs> now we go to striker and DDA Drogba is my favorite Chelsea player of all time. However, damage that he did in this uh, rivalry... In this time period, in this time period, doesn't really equate to what he did in the previous decade. So I think this one, this one, this one stings. Okay, but it's cut and dry. Sergio Aguero has been deadly. Yeah, scored
2: thirteen goals in games between these two clubs in all competitions in this decade.
1: He has been absolutely deadly when these two teams play. I fear him immensely. Headed into this fixture, many talk about him uh, as one of the greatest if not the greatest Premier League strikers. And I, I agree with that notion mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. As you mentioned, the 13 goals and many of the matches that uh, Manchester City has won in this decade, I believe it's 13 of them, mm-hmm. have been directly because of Sergio Aguero. Yeah. So he's been phenomenal for Manchester City. The,
2: the only other choices were Diego Costa and Carlos Tevez. Costa is a good case, but just doesn't have enough goals when, when you consider So Aguero has 13. The next best is four. And and that's Eden Hazard. So Costa doesn't really have the same kind of number of moments or or match-winning goals in these games. So Aguero is pretty easily the ironclad choice here. I
1: think we agree. Baba Rahman and Loic Remy just (laughs) on the outside looking in. Uh, Chelsea and Manchester City, two teams that challenge each other and often bring out the best in each other. And whenever they get together, it is a memorable affair. Cannot wait for this matchup on Saturday. And extra little incentive I think this is going to do a massive number in the United States because of uh, Christian Pulisic. And hopefully that hip is ready to go and we get to see him absolutely shine with the eyes of the world on him uh, on Saturday. That'd be really cool to see him deliver on a great performance against Manchester City. More to come here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Obviously, we're geeked up about the senior side taking on Manchester City. But... Chelsea women's team actually made a marquee signing. One of the best players in the world, one of the purest goal scorers on the planet, mm-hmm. Sam Kerr. This was rumored last year to happen. It didn't quite get finished. Sam Kerr, Australian national prolific goal scorer, comes over from the United States. She spent her time playing in Chicago, and she is now with the Chelsea women's team after signing a deal with Chelsea. You were a huge Sam Kerr fan uh, headed into this Women's World Cup, and you were telling me all about her, and I got super excited when I started looking her up and looking at the YouTubes, and her performance in the Women's World Cup did not disappoint. She lived up to the hype, despite the team maybe not so much following her lead. Tell me a little bit about Sam Kerr and why, if you're just trying to get into Chelsea women's matches why you should be buying yourself a Sam Kerr jersey
2: right and I mean women's football is so big here in the U.S. that it won't be surprising if the women's game grows to a degree where they have some of the biggest stars and maybe even start picking off some of the best Americans we've seen some of the Crystal Dunn uh, played for Chelsea and the way that the FA Women's Super League is growing they just had another great weekend where Tottenham and Arsenal played each other at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium they had 38,000 people there for a women's edition of the North London Derby and now Chelsea signed Sam Kerr who's won NWSL Golden Boot 3 years running set another single season record this year with 18 goals and she is just I would argue at this point the best women's football player in the world, uh, at least in terms of scoring goals, there are others. Uh, obviously, with the United States uh, and with other countries that are, you know, that have a more varied skill set. I mean, even you know, Lucy Bronze for England as a right back has, you know, been talked about as one of the best in the world. But Sam Kerr, either the NWSL, the FA Women's Super League, or Lyon in France, th- those are the three entities where the best women's player in the world can come from. And for Sam Kerr to, in another country, go to the United States and be with so many U.S. internationals occupying that league. Being the best goal scorer, leading a Chicago team deep into the playoffs, I think Sam Kerr is a brilliant signing for Chelsea. And you talk about the growth and and wanting to watch it. All the games are available here in this country via the FA Player. You could Google FA Player and it'll come up. I've watched a few of these games because I'm excited to see these clubs grow to that degree. And once Sam Kerr starts to hit the ground running with Chelsea, I'm going to be watching the fa player and this chelsea women's side so that i can get a look at sam kerr in this league and see how she stacks up to the english game and how much this english game is growing
1: yeah i was watching on the fist sand app the hype videos surrounding sam kerr there's a lot of great stuff over there and i also caught highlights of chelsea's 1-0 victory over manchester united so the women's side certainly doing their thing top of the table chelsea women's side look at them So, and also, we can't rule that out for Chelsea. We just need to be able to get Liverpool to drop some points. It's going to happen, right? Yeah, it has to at some point. It has to. Well,
2: although I believe they've played all the sides in the top six already. So it's going to have to be some teams pulling off upsets, but... That's not unheard of in the Premier League. Especially, I mean they're going to Liverpool are about to have this club world cup thrown in the middle of their December, the busiest time of the year. So hopefully like they come back jet lagged from Qatar or something and uh, and and start dropping some points, but Chelsea can be right there to strike
1: if Liverpool do eventually slip up. All right, so lots of exciting things to look forward to both for the men's and women's side. We're going to wrap things up here on Chelsea mic'd up next. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. We've seen the numbers and the support that we're getting from Chelsea fans the world over is really blowing us away. Please, if you like what you hear or if you just want to see something good happen to a Chelsea supporter like myself, subscribe, rate, review. Okay, we need you to do that on your platform of choice. Please be interactive with us because occasionally we'll throw questions out to you, the audience. Chris Whittingham, what is this week's question that we want to see in the comments section? So this week's question, obviously with Man City being a
2: rival but a bit of a non traditional one, right? It's not based off of these two teams being in different boroughs of London like the Chelsea rivalry with Tottenham or with Arsenal. Maybe it's because you have a particularly annoying friend that supports Manchester United and won't shut up about it. Who is the non-traditional Premier League rival that you feel the most antipathy towards? Because obviously, Chelsea fans, Tottenham fans, don't really get along that much. Chelsea and Arsenal, don't really get along that much. But maybe for another reason, because... You didn't like a manager, or you didn't like uh, a friend who really supports them that eagerly. You're, you you felt that rivalry watching a game. What is the random Premier League team, or even European team, because there can be Champions League rivalries? What are the what is the non traditional club that are not the
1: usual rivals of Chelsea Ooh. that you most dislike? <laughs> oh. I'm typing my PSG uh, (laughs) review up right now. PSG? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea and PSG got together quite a bit in the Champions League, and uh, it didn't always go Chelsea's way. So I will be writing my review right now, (laughs) and I will detail thoroughly why I still have a problem with David Luiz celebrating as much as he did. So that'll be this week's episode here on Chelsea Mic'd Up. Hopefully, we'll be speaking to you next week on the heels of a dominant performance against Manchester City, in which Christian Pulisic has 17 goals in one game, setting the all-time record for being the most awesome at anything ever. Mm. And uh, and we also have where's a- that record kept. I believe <laughs> someone told me the annals of time. Mm, just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just a floating book somewhere out in the galaxy and just the annals <laughs> of time. It says the most awesome, awesomest anything of ever. Awesome thing. Yes. So, and we'll have an exciting and hopefully positive Chelsea champions league result to discuss. So we will be speaking to you next week as we always do up the Chels. We'll talk to you next week.